0: Hello and welcome to... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pin count, happy new year, let's go!
0: <laughs> welcome to the 26th episode of Pin count, a podcast where we go deep into the tech. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas
1: Year. Happy new year, Ian.
0: What have we got? Have we got, really got no follow-up?
1: Yeah, there's no follow-up, there was nothing I could find even when I was going through the show notes last time, so obviously it was the perfect episode.
0: I uh, had some feedback on the last episode, which is we have great accents.
1: Okay, so it's <laughs> always good when you get the great, access, a great accent compliment, especially on a conference call.
0: Okay, so you, I'm just looking at what you've put in the show notes here, I'm afraid I haven't put very much in, I was super busy last week, but um, you've put in uh, CGP Grey's latest.
1: Yeah, so you've got two new videos, or one proper video and then one sort of follow up video for it um, sort of going with our How Does AI Work episode from a while ago, he's gone for How Machines Learn In the main video, what he actually talks about is a system where you use a genetic algorithm to get the result you're looking for, you know, you give it input data you can watch the video, and then he's got a follow up video called How Machines Really Learn, where he then talks about the sort of deep learning thing where you take out the human aspect of the genetic programming and just let it do it itself
0: yeah i mean basically he made that second video i think just to stop people like me writing um big emails as they were watching the first one angrily uh, enumerating all the ways where you're simplifying things and getting things wrong
1: yeah it'd be interesting to see his writing process for this video because it is a very hard topic to sort of condense down
0: i think he explains it well with a caveat that any sort of complex science explained well requires
1: you um First learning lies and then learning why your lies are wrong. Yeah, I I got that in physics for like mm, 10 plus years.
0: Yeah, and then you've put in some... Titan V benchmarks here, is that?
1: Yeah, so there's, um, this. I posted this a couple of weeks ago um, and there's probably been other ones since. This is a repository on GitHub that gets updated quite often, so there's, there's new stuff appearing. Um, showing the difference between running various neural network frameworks, uh, deep learning frameworks um, on Tesla, V100s, Titan Vs, and a 1080 Ti. And yeah, you get a decent speed up in some of those frameworks. Um, it's certainly interesting to see someone...
0: I'm surprised in some of these that the Titan v is is sl- as slower than the V100 as it is. I wonder if there's some optimization there to be. I'm, I'm looking at like ResNet training on the Titan V. Yeah, ResNet 150 training 180 milliseconds a pass compared to 136 on a V100.
1: So what is the difference off the top of your head if you know? What's the difference between a Titan V and a V100? Is it memory type or is it memory bandwidth? If one of the two is different.
0: No, they both have HBM2 memory. There's, I thought a Titan V had higher clock speeds and a V100. Yeah, I mean, the tensor cores are the same, the CUDA cores are the same, the more memory on a V100, they're both HBM2. I thought a Titan V turboed faster, but the base clock on a V100 might be higher.
1: Okay, so what you're getting at with optimization, do you mean in the frameworks where they're looking for the card, they're not optimizing for yeah, it that way, maybe, or?
0: or in the software. I mean, it's, it's curious. It's more of a difference than I would expect. Um, I'm now going to have to look up the frequencies. Uh, depends which V100 you're talking about, the mezzanine one or the... Ah, this could be the difference, right? Because the one ah, on the mezzanine yeah. connector is um, higher higher power consumption. And yeah. I believe higher clock speeds. Yeah, so the boost clock on a mezzanine V100 is um, 1455 and it's 1370 on a PCIe one And a, a Titan V boost 1455 and a base of 1200. Yeah, so that, that's what confused me because the boost clocks is good, right? Hmm. So, there's something weird going on there. That's, those numbers don't match what the spec would tell you.
1: So, I wonder if the mezzanine thing's true because the the instances they used to test here, the Tesla V100, was like a uh, Amazon AWS EC2 P3 2X large. Yeah. So, that could be a mezzanine.
0: Even so, though, I mean, I guess what I don't know, it'd be interesting the cooling setup. Like, deep learning is very sensitive to because you're running the cards at such high load for so A Titan V maybe just can't hold as high a clock for as long. I'd really like to see, I'm just scrolling down in case they've got this in here, I'd really like to see a clock speed graph against training time um, for both of them. That's something you can easily get as well with NVIDIA SMI.
1: Yeah, so there could be um, binning at at play as well, where the Tesla V100s are still getting the higher binned parts.
0: It could just be the machine they're in. I mean, do they say for this where
1: they've put the V100? They don't. The V100's in an Amazon... Sorry, the V100's and Amazon, the, the Titan V, sorry. Oh yeah, they don't say,
0: no. Yeah, cause it, yeah, I'd be interested to see a like-for-like comparison. And In fact, you won't get a like-for-like comparison because there's active cooling on a, on a uh, Titan, whereas it's passive cooling on the V100's. It needs to be in a server chassis. So I wonder if the environment the Titans in, in this example is um, less amenable to be running at full load constantly. Because, I mean, looking at this, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers compared to... The ten eighty tie and thinking, well, it's not. I mean, a Resnet training, one hundred eighty milliseconds compared to two hundred. It's not a huge huge difference. VGG sixteen trainings about twenty percent faster. That's maybe worthwhile. Yeah, it's not not the difference I'd expect. It does make me want a V one hundred though. But yeah, what's this? Something else deep learning? Ah, is this okay. someone turning images into HTML?
1: Yeah, so it's like mock ups of HTML pages and then turning them into the actual HTML CSS code using a trained neural network.
0: Yeah, this is cool. Front end devs, start looking yeah.
1: For other jobs. Yeah. Um so this is yeah, posted by um Emil Walner on the Flight Hub blog. It's it goes into a fair amount of detail about how they do it and how they trained it and such like it's pretty interesting, pretty impressive as well. Um yeah, this is a really long post.
0: Oh, the code's there as well, so you can try yep. it yourself. That's quite cool.
1: I mean, like turning mockups into HTML is something I don't have to do very often anymore. But when I do do it, I hate it with a passion. So this would this would be great.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the sort of thing that the sort of work where the the human does the creativity and then the uh, the machine does the grunt work. I mean, why why should we have to write software ourselves when machines can write it for us?
1: Yeah. So I mean this is the kind of thing it could be like do you still get do Adobe still make Dreamweaver or whatever? I don't oh, know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> it's the kind of thing you could have in there to improve the markup to get out of the back end a lot. Yeah.
0: Um, yep, Dreamweaver but, still
1: exists. Okay. Be interesting to see how this works with the I think they just showed it with a desktop and a mobile design where he had a like a completely responsive fluid design and how it deals with that. I mean you could maybe give it different images of the mockup at different stages and let it work out what the code is, that would be cool as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's an, yeah, it's an interesting case because the training data is presumably fairly easy to come by. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, you just scrape the internet, done.
0: Yeah, so oh, what's this you have got here? You got some random stuff in here. This is quite interesting. I feel bad for adding virtually nothing to this. <laughs> um, so this
1: this is S eight hundred one eight six, and it's a sixteen bit Intel eight hundred one eight six compatible IP core for running on an FPGA. Okay, you've got an FPGA. You want to simulate a Intel one eight six. Um, CPU from the early 90s you can now do exactly that um, so it's a, it's a compact 8016 binary compatible core implementing the full 80186 ISA suitable for integration into FPGA slash ASIC designs um, and impressively it uses fewer cycles per instruction than the original 8086 and in many cases fewer cycles than the 286
0: I think you'll what find what's actually impressive here is you can play Prince of Persia and CGA on it <laughs> and also The Secret of Monkey Island
1: yeah so when you get your Intel chip with an FPGA attached you can then simulate another Intel chip and play old computer games brilliant stories from the early 90s of game development are like full of fascinating sort of computer engineering problems and stories simply because of the limitations of the hardware how much memory they had how much storage they had um, nowadays I mean I think a couple of days ago there was a 6 gigabyte update to PlayerUnknown. Battlegrounds, and it's just like, they're just like, yeah, that's fine, just put it down the pipes, the pipes nice and fat. But people used to be fighting tooth and nail for single megabytes and kilobytes.
0: Oh, yeah, I have put a link in here, one link.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah this is your one link.
0: It's a good link. <laughs> have you seen it?
1: <laughs> I have had a quick look at um, it. Yeah.
0: So, this is, we've talked previously, and indeed, ah, oh, this is follow up. <laughs> this is follow up because we talked about computational photography last time and this is google introducing what they call the cvpr 2018 learned image compression challenge now previously we've talked about google's work on razer r-a-s-i-r where they're using um learn systems neural networks to achieve better image compression and they rolled out in google plus to both of the users um so what this is google doing they're they're sponsoring um a workshop at cvpr which is kind of is the computer vision conference in the world i'd say um and running a competition, they've released some data sets and it's, yeah, people to use learned approach to better image compression. So I, I expect to see some really exciting um, results from this in terms of people doing very high quality, very high compression techniques. Um,
1: so we previously talked about Intel had like a new compression algorithm for images, for um, JPEG images. I can't remember what it's called, a foot up on my head now. I was thinking the other day, we've talked about using deep learning to compress images. Well, Netflix do a thing, or not Netflix, YouTube do a thing, where they use a neural network to figure out what compression will be best for what video. Um, I always I wonder if you could do the same thing. The computation on Google's image compression algorithm was really slow because it, it searches a large space to find the optimum solution to the compression project. But a problem. I wonder if you could use a neural network to choose the optimal or near optimal solution for each part of the image and speed the process up
0: well i mean you can bet people will be trying all kinds of things like this in this uh, workshop so it'll be really interesting to see the results um i can't remember as in cvpr is normally somewhere around the middle of the year
1: yes that sounds really good
0: but yeah looking forward to that so expect exciting compression work
1: so it says the test set will be released on February fifteenth, and the deadline for submit, submitting the compressed versions of the test set is February twenty second. So we've got time to get started still.
0: Yeah, training data is there. So already. Yeah. Um Okay, so you put some CES stuff in here. Was there anything interesting in CES?
1: There's not much. I mean, I think I think we made the same joke last year. Like, who buys half the day? Like, it's just junk. TVs have got slightly better.
0: New XPS 13s look quite nice.
1: Yeah, but they could release that at any time. It doesn't necessarily have to be CES.
0: Yeah, true. Anyway, you put a Tangle Lake link in here, presumably because Tangle Lake is an awesome code name for a CPU.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, so Intel had a, a keynote at uh, CES. Um, they announced a couple of interesting things. They announced, announced Tangle Lake, which is their hilariously punny name for their quantum uh, chip. Uh, I love that cube. as a
0: name. I mean, it's only a pun if you have any clue about how, about quantum computing, and you're also. Familiar with Intel's code names for its recent CPU architectures. It's like that's
1: brilliant. So yeah, it is a really good name. I only actually went to find out what the name was earlier on today, and I was like, yeah, I love that. Maybe if you played Half Life, you might get it as well. So forty nine qubits, and it has pins on it. It doesn't have pins on it. It has.
0: these like micro coax connector. I think he's like yeah, get...
1: coax connectors that the connect to microwave generators to actually control it to make it do things. And they actually they've got a couple of these have sent out to different research groups, um, and then they only need a cooling system the size of a forty-five gallon drum. <laughs> so you can get it in your office now.
0: Yeah, right. got quite a big uh, office. The,
1: <laughs> the other thing they announced was that I don't know how to pronounce this. lohi L O I H I Neomorphic hmm. chip. Do you know anything about this?
0: I don't know. I haven't actually seen this. This is interesting. Forty nanometers, so they're fab- they're fabbing it on something quite state of the art.
1: It's meant to be a sort of like I don't even know I don't even know if I can say like a deep learning tool and have that be correct. Because this all it's all it's lots of PR stuff and they talk about, you know, it's like what well, it learns like a human brain learns and all this stuff. I can give you some numbers on it though. It's got it simulates a hundred and thirty thousand neurons and a hundred and thirty million synapses. It supposedly provides Orders of magnitude speed up over current AI techniques.
0: That's not not very helpful numbers. You can't really directly compare them. Let's park this until we get some interesting actual stuff. Yeah. Um, And you've got no link here about Asus mobile displays.
1: Asus showed off a bunch. They've had these before. I think they're called Mm. like Zen Display or something. It's like like a sort of 20-inch display um, that you can fold up and put in your laptop case and take with you to freeze a second display. They now have them with batteries in them.
0: A bunch of them were bus-powered before.
1: Yeah, so I think I think it just if you're using it with a laptop, you don't have to worry about draining the laptop as well. So they, they have batteries in them. But the most interesting one they're doing a twenty one inch uh, model, which is OLED. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's about a thousand dollars or a thousand quid, which is actually quite impressive for the price. But that's the first computer display I've seen that's OLED that isn't some ridiculous thing.
0: I've got an OLED display in my Alienware thirteen
1: desktop display.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's well, kind of a desktop. It's mobile.
1: It looks really exciting. And I'm now thinking maybe I shouldn't get a sort of Retina 4K display. I should wait for an OLED 4K display. No, I'm going to be waiting forever. You're going to be waiting forever, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, so kind of as a topic, you thought we could talk about CPU bugs. So, been in the news?
1: Yeah, so we'll have a little talk about the current ones and then we'll talk about some old ones because they're interesting as well. Or actually, they're more interesting and a bit less worrying at this point. <laughs> yeah. Around Christmas, there were some rumours and speculation and some weird things happening on AWS that made people think maybe there's some sort of Intel CPU bug. And then just after the new year, it was announced there's two or three Intel CPU bugs. It covers, you know, there's the old joke, like, what's the two hardest things in computer science? Caching, naming things, and off-by-one errors. And this has all three. Because both the bugs, or all three of the bugs, are about... Caching. They've both got terrible names, and it's actually three of them, even though there's two names.
0: I think we shouldn't bother to try and explain this because lots of other people have tried it. We can put some links in the show notes.
1: Yeah, there's Um, lots of really good articles out there, especially the one from the Raspberry Pi people about how these bugs work, what's caused them to happen, um, and why it doesn't affect their equipment. Um, But yeah,
0: to give the uh, the most simple explanation I can give of it is there were side effects to instructions that were being executed and the side effects weren't being accounted for. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And actually, if anyone's maybe read a description or two and they're struggling to understand it a bit, an article that I found really um, fascinating and also really helped me understand what was going on here with Spectre and Meltdown is an article uh, about a CPU design bug in the Xbox 360. Okay. Okay. So I have put a link in the show notes. There have you have you read this one? It's, it's
1: a... I, I had a quick look at look at it when you added it earlier on today.
0: Yeah, so it's a guy that was the sort of chief architect for the Xbox 360 CPU, Uh he talks about a bug they found, which was basically to do with um, wondering about how to explain this briefly without going to be too deep about um, memory copy routine that prefetch data, right? So it it could prefetch lines of data, uh, cache lines. Like yep. entire line. So it could it would fetch some extra data, but that's fine because you got the data you're looking for, for quicker. But basically the bug they had, which I cannot possibly explain accurately in a few sentences you have to go and read <laughs> the explanation. Was when they were the because of a design choice in the multi core, how the the cores were arranged in the Xbox three sixty, it was possible to have uh, cache coherency problems where if you use this prefetching where the CPUs had thought they had um, some data in cache, and indeed they did, but then this wasn't reflected in what was in main memory, so they were getting problems with you know, the, the cache not reflecting main memory, right? Yep. Uh, with this, this prefetching instruction. And then particularly the bug was, if this prefetch instruction was speculatively executed and then discarded, then you'd have broken the cache coherency as a side effect. Okay. Um, so that's very poorly explained by me explaining it very like a lot of the Spectrum Meltdown stuff has been explained but if you read through this article I find it an interesting read on how you can have a CPU bug, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing like how can you know you think of bugs as being software but then how, how these design flaws happen and then also more interestingly maybe is how they're found, how people can discover them so um, yeah I recommend it And
1: It's quite interesting that, that bugs like, it's almost like I mean, they've posted it like a, like a couple of days ago, but it's very on topic for how what the type of bugs Spectre and Meltdown are, which is you know they're they side effects of speculative execution regarding what's in the cache and how you can you know um, use a side channel attack to change what's in the cache and access another process's cache and read read things from memory. It's a, and like you say, that these aren't software bugs; they're actually something that's happening in hardware.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe not unexpected as well. I mean, there's a link I put in here from Dan Liu's blog about, this is an old article, so it says, why Intel's 2015 CPU bugs should make us expect worse bugs in the future. And it t- turned out to be rather uh, epicent. And basically, he talks about how um, Intel were being scared or left behind by ARM, so uh, foregoing a lot of quality assurance work, and uh, just to get higher speed of development.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's amazing these the I mean the Spectre and Meltdown affect everything from core to do onwards, I think. So two No, 000, no, older than that. Seven older than that, okay. Nine ninety
0: five, I think, onwards.
1: Okay, wow. Okay. So I mean I doubt they they knew about it and were ignoring it for that long, but certainly their verification wasn't finding it.
0: Um so what other articles would be Oh the performance impact. So this is interesting. So the mitigation yeah. the mitigation for Spectre and Meltdown, or
1: um one of them, I forget which. Um so most people have a p- patches for Spectre. Meltdown's the harder one to patch, so they're slowly appearing as patches.
0: Anyway, the mitigation effectively incurs performance penalties when you do kernel operations. So that is things like hit the file system, things like that. So it affects some yeah. workloads more than others. So you've put some links in here in the show notes on performance impact.
1: Yeah, both Microsoft, well, Microsoft themselves has posted some articles about the performance impact um, of the, the the sort of mitigation patches on Windows. Worth a read if you're on Windows systems. There's also people have done tests with uh, macOS. Interestingly, macOS doesn't show a huge difference or huge performance difference in almost, or pretty much all desktop patches. Um, macOS is making use, there's a feature in modern Intel CPUs called PCID, which is Process Context ID, let's the yeah, let's the how did I describe this let's the CPU display to a running process it's only its virtual memory or only the virtual memory it definitely has access to it it's like a form of virtual memory for cache modern... CPUs have it since 2012 I think Sandy Bridge might have been the first one and Mac, the macOS patch actually just makes use of that so you don't get much of a slowdown with that at all, it looks like the early Windows patches and the, certainly the very first Linux kernel patches don't make use of that but hopefully they will soon so I think lots of the patches are very heavy handed at the moment and over time we'll get most of the performance back but from my partially experimentation and partially looking at running systems and partially speaking to other people, it appears like database work and what I do is the sort of worst effect with like 20 to 30% slowdown just because there's a lot of IO going on there and a lot of data being read to and from memory.
0: It's so. interesting here that the yeah, so it says macOS performance impact isn't huge, but then they're not doing any database benchmarks there. But then that's a lot to do with the typical workloads on these types of machines.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sure there's some classes of um, work on macOS that, that you know are pretty badly hit, but they're probably not things people are doing. No one's running big database loads on macOS like day to day. Hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I mean, mostly, I mean, what are you going to do, right? You just got to suck it up, aren't you? So.
1: Yeah, you just got at the moment. You just got to you know patch your systems up. I mean, even like update your phones and stuff. I mean, the, the, some of the proof of concepts for this are, are you know they're out there. They're, they're pretty interesting. There's a few. that can. There's one I saw where it's just like um, a C file. You you get it off GitHub. You compile it, and it will like read everything out of your memory. It's quite one where
0: you, it's quite scary.
1: Yeah, there's another one where it ge- it gives you a little UI, and you can type a password in it in a completely separate pro- program. Or yeah. Yeah, completely separate process just reads the password straight out of the cache. So this is like it's like a real thing. There was a lot of talk about um, I don't know if anyone made the proof of concept, but they're talking about JavaScript running on the system being able to make use of one or more of these exploits that actually read the memory or create side effects for other processes um, via JavaScript, like all the way through a virtual machine. It's just uh, yeah, that is it's crazy incredible.
0: that that can work.
1: Yeah, so I mean like ad add servers some of them load random javascript from other places with, that they don't control and you've no idea what's in that now so you know yeah it's not great
0: yeah and these are by no means the first cpu bugs so i mean i put an interesting list in here from osdev.org where they're it's basically a history of cpu bugs you've got to watch out for if you're writing an operating system <laughs> um and yeah there's loads of them and they happen all the time i mean most of the time they're fixed in microcode updates yeah to work around them but yeah it's quite a little, I mean it, most people well, i say most people, a few people may remember the kind of a, the OG CPU bug that people that kind of made mainstream news, which was the Pentium F bug, um, floating point division bug in the original Pentium, Pentium chips, yep. P75s, uh, because there was a, I remember that was back in the sort of Windows 95 hype, um, big marketing push from Intel on uh, Pentium chips that cost them a lot of money, that bug. So yeah, made big news.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the few, they actually did recalls on that, I seem to remember.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they'll be doing that this time, just it affects too many CPUs. But yeah, like that certainly cost them a lot of money and a lot of reputation, and it's certainly the one people talk about when you think about like an actual hardware bug.
0: Also, that was a that was a bug that just stopped the computer working, whereas this one's a security risk, which is a bit a bit different. I mean, do you think yeah. they should recall? I mean, it's, it's a tricky one. I,
1: I just don't. I don't think it's possible. I think they've just got to patch the systems that are out there and figure out something else. Um, I mean there's some interesting stuff like I was saying about database workloads being a bit slower, um, my current job we pay Amazon to run the database servers for us and do we now need bigger instances to make up for the CP- the performance loss so we have to pay Amazon more money that's a bit of a weird situation mm. it's almost like they're not advertising a certain level of performance but we are losing some performance compared to what we were getting before but um, yeah it's a bit of a uh, I wouldn't like to be intel's board or recall department
0: yeah yeah tricky i mean it's yes yeah, more of
1: a problem for amazon than it is for you i guess yeah yeah exactly
0: okay i think that's that's all the topics for for today yeah, shorter, shorter than usual i think maybe but um
1: yeah thanks for listening to pin count show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com you can find me on twitter at at douglas f shearer and you can find ian on twitter at at the underscore accidental you can follow the show at pincountpodcast We'd love to get your feedback, tweet us, and use the hashtag AskPinCount, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For longer feedback, or if you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings, email wrongontheinternet at pincountpodcast.com. Okay, so I've just clicked this aftershow link. What is
0: this? New <laughs> web scale tag. MongoDB plus Node.js plus crypto.
1: Yeah, and the crypto is in currency. it's yeah. really winding me up, people using crypto for like oh, cryptocurrency. They tell me about right. it. That's just wrong. Um, so this is this is this yeah this is like this is the new hotness and it's in the form of it's on GitHub. It's a project called Zenbot. It's Zenbot is a command line cryptocurrency trading bot using Node JS and MongoDB. Oh it's like three of my it's like three of my favorite things altogether together. <laughs> um, current status: Zenbot four is functional but having trouble reliably making profit. Yeah, I think it's having trouble being reliable using MongoDB. Um,
0: what 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 is this?
1: Just buzzwords. <laughs> Just buzzwords. So, is it a trading bot? I mean, certainly, Bitcoin transactions take so long. I think, it, like having a bot that's actually do that, it must be terrible. Just thinking
0: high frequency trading on a, a a transaction system that manages globally in the the ten or maybe fifteen transactions per second.
1: Yeah. So it says flexible sampling period and trade frequency averages one to two trades per day with one hour period. <laughs> brilliant yeah,
0: high frequency trading
1: yeah
0: amazing Um yeah oh, that's not not as long a time as I thought do we want to talk about people reviewing reviewing the um, iMac Pro
1: Um I think in some cases it's interesting just because people like people I was just like, are...
0: amused by my autocorrect <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so you said you said in the notes where is it let me find it oh, I've lost it it's at the top yeah, yeah so, so you, you said I saw these notes and had no idea what they were Panstink and the Grinder discover high end computers I was like what in earth is this um, you can explain
0: yeah I was listening to the podcast the talk show yeah it's John Gruber's um, John Gruber you might see where I'm going here it's his um, his podcast where he is in, uh, interviewing uh, Matthew Panzerino about the iMac Pro and they were discussing because they both tried them out and been to Apple's um, press junkets on it Yep. and yeah so I was writing Panzerino and Gruber discover high end computers but yeah my iPhone auto corrected it to pans stinking grinder <laughs> <laughs> but yeah th- did you listen to that episode of the talk show?
1: I yeah I have listened to that one and I, I, I'm going to explain all of the podcasts and all of the articles I've seen from Mac people about the iMac Pro is th- they haven't really had like a fast big CPU since the twenty thirteen Mac Pro, which is actually a Xeon V two, it's a pretty old CPU at this point. Yeah, I mean V sixes are on the horizon at the moment.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, so like they're talking about things like oh, it was running a VR system and the fans were barely even spinning up, or um oh yeah, it was compiling some software and doing something else at the same time. It's like yeah. Oh dear. It just I I wish I'd written down the examples of things. Um but yeah, I guess it is amazing if you've never used a, a modern high performance computer.
1: Yeah, I mean I think if your platform for everything is the Mac, you've been really limited in getting access to the sort of last like four years of like high performance CPUs. Like, I mean
0: you've just... probably been using a dual core with sixteen gigs of RAM at best. Um yeah. if you're lucky, maybe you've been on a quad core with thirty two gigs.
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas yeah, it's just a different I mean, they aren't even I mean there's a big improvement to the the iMac pros with, you know, 10 to 18 cores and 120 gigs of RAM or so but even that is that's significantly better but it doesn't get into quite what I think of as a different type of machine when you've got maybe 40 or more cores and you know hundreds of gigabytes of RAM Then that becomes a very different thing
1: yeah I mean I do do wonder if you've got a workload that sort of requires that would you really be buying an iMac anyway well that's it it'd be really interesting to see what the, the the future Mac Pro is actually going to be like and what CPUs it's going to support
0: and also, when yeah, they're t- talk about people de- developing VR applications on iMacs, so It's just uh, it doesn't seem like there's much market for that. If you like, why would you bother? It's a specialist application, so
1: why bother doing it on a Mac? Yeah,
0: Again, I think it's not the best tool for the
1: job, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best things at uh, the sort of you said the press junket, the uh, Apple held a press event where they got various software makers in and. and Users of sort of high end hardware to to demo things, and one of the things that was demoed was one of the sort of special effects houses, and they actually had an iMac with a bunch of external GPUs plugged in, and they showed off like doing effects in real time against footage, and that's that sounds like a feasible thing to be doing on an iMac Pro. Um, it was certainly interesting to hear about the external GPUs being used as part of the the, the workflow or the work the workload handling. Um,
0: yeah, I, ju- I just wonder who sat developing something for the Mac that requires enormous compute power. And like, whose boss is letting them do that? <laughs> right? Unless they've got advanced knowledge of the iMac Pro. And even so, like, it's like, whose boss is like, oh, yeah, you're developing a heavy GPU compute application for the Mac? Yeah, that seems legit. It's like...
1: But the thing is, it's, it's, it's film and special effects software. Like, lots of these places use Macs. And the, the people, the, 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 the artists who actually sit in front of the, the machine and don't have to worry about the sort of tech details, lots of them use Macs. Yeah. But so I mean, there's a demand for the Macs from the people doing the work. You know, someone's going to fill it in, and the software's like probably has a might not have a hardware key these days, but it's tens of thousands of dollars a year. So
0: yeah, but I mean, who's who's writing? What are they writing the software with? Right? <laughs> what are they <laughs> it on? Yeah.
1: Let, let me let me phrase it the other way. Have you looked at the interface for film editing and special effects software on Linux?
0: Yeah.
1: Or any UI on Linux.
0: Well, Mia yeah, or something, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,